Hi, welcome to the WellDoc podcast. We're medical students bringing you honest conversations with practicing physicians surrounding wellness and medicine. Thank you for joining us on this journey as we look to those in the field for direction and advice in achieving balance and wellness in our present and future lives. For this episode, we are being joined by Dr. Al-Mufti, a neurologist, neurointensivist, and neuroendovascular surgeon at Westchester Medical Center. Dr. Al-Mufti is the Medical Director of Neurocritical Care at Westchester Medical Center, the Assistant Dean for Graduate Medical Education Research, and Associate Professor of Neurology, Neurosurgery, and Radiology at New York Medical College. Join us as we learn about how his unique experiences early in his medical training helped to shape his outlook on wellness in medicine. So hi, Dr. Al-Mufti. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Well Doc podcast. We really appreciate you like taking the time to talk to us. We usually start off by asking uh, two questions to all of our guests. The first question is, what are three good things that happened to you this week? Oh my God, that's a tough one. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Um, I just came off a week-long period where I was on service, both in the neurocritical care unit and on neuroendovascular surgery. So I I had very little time to myself. I will say good things that happened. We had, uh, we saved a patient who was having a massive middle cerebral artery stroke, left MCA stroke, who came to us with devastating deficits. And I saw her yesterday. She's back to her baseline. So I'm very happy about that. I managed to find time to like take my kids uh, to do some apple picking. And I, I love that. That was a lot of fun too. And uh, yeah, I participated in our departmental Halloween best outfit competition. And that was fun too. So I guess those are three things that, um, that I'm happy about this week. <laughs> nice. Uh, what did you dress up as? <laughs> so I initially didn't know what I was going to do, but then when I saw what, how imaginative, creative everybody else was, I decided I had to think outside the box. So actually I ended up dressing as Batman. Um, I just got the ba- Batman, f- the mask. And it, during residency, a stroke code was actually called code bat for short for brain attack. And I painted half the mask's face with uh, with a beard like there it's as though a batman shaved only half his beard and i said the name of the costume was code bat for neglect but <laughs> uh, sounds like you had a pretty good week then <laughs> yep it was fun. so next question we ask everyone is uh what does wellness mean to you um you know it's a it's a it's a good question i i it's a very hard question as well i think wellness means something different to everyone um as long as i'm able to come back at the end of the day having helped as many people as i could have at work and come back home to a safe healthy family i think i am well um wellness means something different to everyone i I, like i'm sure you would agree um very recently i'm extremely involved in like a number of the societies that i work with and I'm, i'm on their board of directors and uh wellness is so important to me that we actually came up with a campaign a very brief campaign the hashtag of the campaign is i am well um and i wanted people to show what wellness means to them and not realizing like how difficult this question was i actually was one of the last people to participate because it was like it was very hard and everybody posted and you were supposed to basically post a picture of what you do when you are to essentially re-energize, to to relax and be in harmony, reach your Zen point. And every like participation was actually overwhelming. I was not expecting that many 
people to participate, it was it was beautiful. Everybody posted something very different. So if you ever go on Twitter or like, I don't know if it was on Instagram as well, but and you just search hashtag I am well, uh, one word, you'll see so many different posts uh, about people doing people mountain biking and people um, swimming and doing things to essentially recover and re-energize. And I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds really cool. But that's also like why we ask everyone that question because it does mean like so many different things to a lot of different people. So I think it's interesting to hear kind of like the kind of methods of incorporating wellness into your life. Switching gears a little bit, what made you decide to pursue medicine and ultimately your specialty? Uh, I'm the first physician in my family. Part of the reason I decided to go into it is because I felt like it was a, I guess the, the generic answer is I really wanted to help people. But at the same time, I, like I was always an artist at heart. I draw and I paint. Um, and when I actually met a couple of physicians and I realized that there is so much to be said about the art of medicine. Look, when somebody asks me to describe a painting, it's so hard to put in words what that painting means. Some people are way more eloquent than I am as far as like they describe the the, the way the light hits the painting and the way the colors merge. To me, it's I struggle when I try to describe that. A painting is like, like a symphony that you listen to, like an opera you listen to. It's very hard to describe that feeling. And the feeling that I get when I paint is not unlike the feeling that I get when I practice medicine. I feel like this overwhelming sense of satisfaction um, that I'm able to help a, a, like a human being, another fellow human being, Regardless of anything else, me as one human, I was able to help another human. And I think that's primarily why I decided to go into medicine. I know people talk about the art of medicine. I actually went into medicine to practice the art of medicine. I know that from listening to some of your other talks that you've given us in school, um, that you first started off in emergency medicine, and then you kind of switched um, to like neurology. So what kind of inspired emergency medicine and then kind of like the switch? Oh, I wish I wish I was inspired to practice emergency medicine. I was not. I will be very <laughs> honest about that. So I have an interesting background. I was born in Iraq and uh, I left Iraq and traveled the world with my parents. Sadly, I don't remember many of the places I visited. But my parents claim that I've been around the world, so I have to believe them. I grew up, like ultimately I attended school in Cyprus and in the United Kingdom. And I ended up uh, returning to Iraq uh, after the first Gulf War. Um, so being raised by a middle-class family, I was essentially like that was keen on education. I was raised to be self-disciplined and to, to always aim high in life and always be strong-willed and to make the best out of very little. I. I graduated from medical school a really long time ago, 2002. I, I'm celebrating my 20th anniversary graduating from medical school. So I practiced for a year under the Hussein regime. 2003 happened and a, a lot of people don't realize like what basically what 2003 meant to uh, so many people in that part of the world and especially in Iraq and especially in Baghdad. Our lives were changed, like, like everything changed. All of a sudden you went from like a dictatorship to essentially a, a complete vacuum and a regime that basically hurt a lot of people to a vacuum that hurt a lot of people and terrorism that hurt so many people. So I chose emergency medicine. I, I, let me rephrase that. I didn't choose emergency medicine. Emergency medicine chose me. It was essentially something that I found myself practicing because nobody else was doing that job. I recall going to work one day and uh, this is like the begin early parts of the war and there were like the hospital was bustling. People were going there. There were lots of volunteers, people trying to help the victims. 
The next day I go, the, like day after day, the numbers dwindled until one day I went and uh, uh, I think it was like probably the last day I headed out to the hospital that I could actually come back home. Um, uh, and there were like nine of us. And I actually had to walk around. I had to look for those people. It's almost like in these uh, these movies you watch and these TV shows you watch and these like post-apocalyptic uh, worlds where everybody's disappeared. I'm like, where is everyone? The streets are ha- like almost empty. The hospital's empty. There, there were very handful of patients at that point. Patients just started to come in and like in like these waves, pickup trucks would just park outside the emergency department and these bodies would get dumped outside. And you have to manage this. Like somebody has like, I'm the physician. I have to like step up and take care of these patients. That's basically how my emergency medicine chapter started. Uh, got it. Thank you so much for sharing that, um, that story. So when did you decide to switch to the neurology route? Neurology was, uh, was an interesting choice because uh, I basically, and, and this is not going to be a, a, a very flattering decision for like, like as far as like why I chose neurology. Um, when I moved to the United States in 2009, I was basically asked to redo my training. At that point, I had almost like seven years of experience. And they said, yep, you do have seven years of experience, but in order to practice here, you have to do your training all over again. And at that point, I did not feel like I wanted to do emergency medicine, partly because I was burned out. I'm being completely honest here. I was very burned out uh, having... Uh, survived like number of wars, innumerable casualties, worked with doctors that borders, traveled the world in, again, to, to, to attend to and practice medicine in other war zones. When I moved here, they were like, uh, yep, you can't practice emergency medicine. You'd have to retrain in emergency medicine. And I was like, there's nothing you can teach me that I don't already know at this point. So if I'm going to have to retrain, I might as well learn something new. And the brain to me was an enigma. Like I had, I didn't know enough about it. And I thought it was a fascinating organ. And I thought it was like a, like a new organ for me to master. And that's basically how I chose neurology. Very quickly, I learned that like uh, I thrive on acute care medicine. Uh, I enjoy that part of like medicine. And although I love neurology, I found myself missing the adrenaline rush. So I missed being in the emergency department. So uh, I would volunteer to take emergency medicine shifts. I volunteered to take stroke call. Um, as opposed to like outpatient clinic. And um, I slowly but surely realized that like I, f- I saw myself practicing a combination of the two. So neurocritical care was the fellowship that I chose, uh, the first fellowship I chose. And this was like the perfect marriage between neurology and neurocritical and emergency medicine. As much as I love neurocritical care and some still something I practice, I chose to train further to add a procedural element to my practice. And I did neuroendovascular surgery. So currently I practice both neurocritical care and neuroendovascular surgery. So I guess you could say for a person who did not want to train at all and do any more training, I did eight more years of training uh, to reach something that I was very happy to practice ultimately. Sounds like you have a very unique experience compared to probably most of your colleagues that you're working with here. So how do you think that difference in life experience impacts how you view wellness and how you try to like incorporate that into your life? Yeah. You know, I've had so many, I mean, I always tell my medical students, to me, this is a second career. I always feel like I was given a a second chance at life and um, I lived an entire, a complete life. Uh, before coming to the United States, I was an attending with 
my patients and I'm my residents and my fellows. And when I moved here, I had to start from scratch and do this all over again. And in my first career, I had witnessed so many, uh, so much devastation, so much uh, loss, so much adversity that I learned to cherish what matters the most, I guess, in my second career, in my second life. Um, and um, having like, emerged from like these wars i don't think it really hurt my sense of well-being my like mental mindset but in fact i don't know i feel like it strengthened it and allowed me to realize what's what's really important in life when i returned back home i basically could not leave the hospital for almost like a, a few months and there was no tele form of telecommunication this was like before the time where there were cell phones where i could just pick up a cell phone and call my parents my parents thought i thought i was dead and uh, when they saw me, actually, I had to walk back home. When they actually saw me, it was as though they were just like, like somebody had just, uh, they, they saw somebody like rise from the dead. In, in a way, and this is going to sound weird, but like in a way, that's how I, I, I see myself. Like that's how I feel like I stay sane. I always feel like th how things could have been and how things are now. And I appreciate what I currently have. It's almost like you reach this, um, uh, uh, this, like, uh, I ran into a friend of mine who's like, who, 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 who's an intensivist and emergency medicine doctor. He gave a talk about, uh, uh, uh I want to say it's stoicism. Um, it's this like a, a way of meditating where you imagine losing someone and then you wake up for, for a few minutes and you feel the pain of losing someone. Then, then when you wake up or you're like, you, you're back to normal and you're like, you're, you're not medita meditating anymore. When you see that per person, you want to embrace them. You're like, oh my God, I, I didn't miss them. It was actually a dream. It was something I envisioned. He actually describes the situation. It's very sad. He's like, uh, when I'm in, in a long ER shift, I take five minutes and I go to this room and I imagine that my son is dead. And I'm like, I can't believe you, you really do that? He's like, yes, I, I do that. For a few minutes, he's like, to the extent where I almost start to cry. And I feel so sad that my son is dead or my wife has left me. And, and I think about like all the things that I would have done to prevent that. At the end of the five minutes, I go back to my shift. And the first thing I do when I go home is uh, like, I, I stop by a Walgreens, buy my son a teddy bear, just to make the make their their day a little brighter, I go to like a flower shop, buy my wife flowers because I don't want her to like I don't want to lose her, and I want to tell her that like uh, I want to fix a problem before it even happens. Honestly, hearing that talk and and that he is a colleague really changed the way I see things and was a very humbling way to almost stay sane and uh, cherish what you currently have today because. Things could, like, as bad as things seem like they may be to some people, they could be much worse. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've never heard any meditation like that. I have heard from people that they make a list of, like, three things they're grateful for, which sort of sounds like kind of a similar idea to, like, remind you of, like, the things that you're grateful for in your life. But that's really interesting. So Talia, he's actually, his name is Scott Weingart. That talk that he gave is on YouTube, and it's on meditation. And he describes this so eloquently um, I highly encourage anyone listening to this to, to just search this on YouTube and just listen to how he describes it. And uh, you'll learn to appreciate the things that you have today. Yeah.
For sure. I know you mentioned that you like painting. Um, so what are other kinds of things that you do kind of like outside of your professional life? <laughs> um, so I, um, I was chatting with my daughters yesterday and they were like, uh, in our culture, like we, they don't call me dad, they call me Baba. So they're like, Baba, we know when you're stressed. I'm like, how do you know? They're like, well, if you're like low level stress, you draw you sketch and you doodle. Um, if it's higher level stress, we see that you bring plants. So we know you go to like, uh, uh, what's it called? Home Depot across the street from the medical school and you buy plants. Like that is my Zen place. Mm -hmm. If anybody sees me in Home Depot in the gardening area, know that I'm, I'm, I'm under moderate stress. And I go there and I start buying plants. Um, and uh, when you're outside in the garden, your stress level must be so high. So. I love being outdoors. I love planting things. I love seeing these things grow slowly over time. Um, that's basically what I do to stay sane. <laughs> if there's one thing you could tell yourself as a medical student or like to the medical students at the school, um, what would it be? Let me think about this. I mean, I think, I think it's very important to realize that to, to care for the people around you. One thing I learned the hard way was how little we actually are in the bigger picture. When you actually realize that when everybody's gone, you are almost helpless. When I was working in the, like during the war zone and you realize that there's nobody to actually cook for you. There's no cafeteria. The janitor, the janitors aren't there to clean the floor or make sure that everything is like in, in, in good shape. You realize how, uh, uh, dependent you are on being part of a larger team. So I would especially encourage you to like, when you see like the, the janitor or the cafeteria lady, just thank them for everything that they do. Um, uh, I ate so many dates and I talk about this a lot. I ate so many dates during the war that I currently have PTSD. I cannot have more dates. Um, uh, I mean, I, I still think it's a, it's a great thing, but uh, uh, uh be a great experience, but the one thing I uh, uh, like I emerged from this is definitely stronger, definitely more resilient, definitely able to weather more adversity. But I can't stand dates. Um, I will say uh, life will present a lot of challenges to you guys, um, and you will be faced with adversity. Uh, adversity will will never leave you. You may face that as an undergrad, you'll face it as a medical student, you'll face it as a resident, as a fellow, and as an attending. You should always focus on how do you weather the storm? How do you uh, succeed and emerge unscathed, hopefully? How do you find yourself able to overcome these challenges that are thrown your way? It's, it's not easy. Uh, and I, I, I'm not saying that uh, in, under no circumstance am I going to say this is easy, but uh, just to cite myself in the talk that I gave that adversity can be a gift. When facing what seems to be an insurmountable challenge, the question I, I will tell you, the question I ask myself is, am I going to crumble or am I going to do my best to weather the storm and uh, roll with the punches? Do you shut the world out and do you lay in a fetal position or uh, uh, or do you stand strong? It, it's hard. To, it's, it's really hard when when you're facing two difficult choices, um, neither of which is a good, like it sounds like it's a good option. The worst thing you could do is just to procrastinate. And 
ask your question, why this, is this happening to you? What you need to do is just make a decision and stick with it. Uh, to cite the Matrix rebel leader Morpheus, uh, do you take the blue pill or the red pill dilemma? And uh, uh, you take a blue pill and it all ends, but then you kind of lose the, the, the challenge. Um, or do you take the red pill and you stay in this wonderland and uh, you, you basically take this, take things to the next level? It's all about changing this, uh, like a, a very bad experience into personal growth. And there's always an opportunity for adversity to make you more resilient. But it's also a, like res- adversity can also make you even more fragile. Because if you face too much adversity, it may build you up or tear you down. Either way, you it's it's up to you. You have the control. Got it. Thank you. That definitely answers my question. So the last thing I just wanted to ask is, is there anything I didn't ask you about that you wish I asked you about? Um, I think you asked like excellent questions. Um, wh- when it comes to wellness, I think I- I'm really happy that there is a podcast dedicated to this. So kudos to you and your team on working on this. I think it's extremely important. I think it's a very uh, frequently overlooked serious problem in healthcare. So thank you for doing the work that you do. And uh, if there's anything I can do for like a, there's like an open invitation to any of the medical students, anyone interested, uh, just feel free to reach out. I'm happy to to, to share some of my experiences and at least lend, a, uh, lend an ear and uh, listen to anyone's problems. I'm always there for you guys. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, and thank you for joining us today and taking the time like out of your day to talk to us. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much, Talia. Thank you again, Dr. Al-Mufti, for that great discussion. We hope that this episode has got you thinking about how overcoming adversity can help us become stronger and the importance of incorporating moments of gratitude and wellness practices into our day-to-day. We'd like to give a huge shout out to Wilson Zang for his awesome audio editing skills. And we'll see you next episode on the WellDoc Podcast.